Hey, well, let's, let's open up our time in a word of prayer, okay? Father, what a, what a joy and a blessing it was uh, last night with Pastor Shindo. And, um, you know, God, what really makes me uh, even more grateful, God, is that there are people in this church uh, who are willing to open up their pockets in some cases and, and travel uh, all the way around the world uh, to go and minister to him. And Father, thank you so much for uh, the partnership that we've uh, been able to enjoy with him. And we ask God for your favor and blessings upon uh, Tsumitomo Church, God, that they would, that their kingdom, that the kingdom of God will grow through, through them in a great and mighty way. God, we're, we're grateful. I'm so thankful for this church, God, and for all that you're doing here. And uh, Father, this morning, you know, this is a really, um, you know, heavy subject in many ways because it's something uh, that we all deal with. And I just pray that today... You would speak to each and every one of us. Uh, so that's my heart. That's my, my prayer. We commit this uh, time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, while, while our team was there, I got to give you, I want to just fill you in a little bit on what happened. So we, um, we sent a team there. And while they were there, they experienced two earthquakes and the, one of the largest typhoons to hit Japan in decades. Uh, here's the typhoon as, as it was approaching uh, the country. The grand opening was set for Sunday, October the 13th at roughly 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Invitations had gone out uh, weeks before. The food, our team went there. They bought all the food. They, they made the food. The party favors were made. They were putting on a luau for, for all the folks. The typhoon was scheduled uh, to make landfall, uh, you know, Sunday evening, no, Saturday evening around 5 o'clock, and it was headed right for where the church is located. Uh, Pastor Shindo and his wife Yumi um, were really getting nervous about this, really getting anxious. And finally, I believe it was on Thursday or Friday, they heard that all the trains were canceled, all the flights were canceled, and so... With, with, a, with a heavy heart, they decided that they better cancel the grand opening. And so they got word out that they were canceling the grand opening uh, because they were, they were getting anxious. That, you know, would they get flooded out? How would people get there? Uh, what if the church blew away? I mean, all kinds of things. And here back at home, I was getting anxious as well. And I was anxious not so much for them but, but for our team, uh, for my wife who I knew would not hunker down in a typhoon. She'd go out there and try to experience every minute of it. And so I was getting anxious here at home. I mean, would our team be okay? Because, you know, every time we send out a team, my first priority is their safety. I'm just concerned about their safety. Well, Saturday morning comes, and so I texted. And again, the typhoon's supposed to hit that evening around dinner time. So I texted my wife, Cheryl, Japan time there. And I texted her. I said, hey, what are your plans for today? And she says, well, we're headed to the church right now from the hotel. We're headed to the church. We're going to work all, all morning to, to get things ready for the grand opening in case we still have it. And then around 1 o'clock, Yumi is going to drive us back to the hotel. And then they're going to hunker down for the, for the typhoon to hit around, you know, about four hours later. All right, so one o'clock, Japan time rolls around, and I text her. I said, okay, are you guys on your way back to the hotel? And she said, she texted me back and said, not yet. And I said, why not? She said, well, we just, we got a little more work to do. We'll, we'll head back in a couple of hours. I said, a couple of hours? You need to leave now. You know, you need to get back there. Now, I'm getting really, now my anxiety level is really going up. You need to get back there now because that typhoon, I mean, that's going to start hitting like in a, you know, in, within the hour. The rain's coming. It was already raining, she said. And so I said, you need to go now. And, uh, 
And then I got no response. So I texted Pastor Caleb, because I'm his boss. And I said, you need to get your team, you need to get the team back to the hotel now. And he didn't respond. Right? So my anxiety levels rose even more. And so this whole time, for a couple hours, I'm waiting like, why aren't you responding? You need to get back. You know, the, the streets are going to be flooded. Your car is going to wash away. All these things. And finally, at 4 o'clock Japan time, an hour before the typhoon's supposed to, to hit Japan, Cheryl texted me and says, okay, we're on our way back. I said, you're on your way back now. You'll never make it. You know, you'll never make it. And I was like, you know, panicking and I was anxious and I was praying and I was crying. And, and, but, but they did make it back. They they made it back. The typhoon passed. Sunday morning, they woke up and it was bright and sunny, and the the grand opening went off as scheduled without a hit hitch. Two hundred people showed up, and it was a, it was a smashing success. And all that worry was for nothing. It was for nothing. Let me ask you something. What are you worried about? What, what causes you anxiety? You know, this week, I, early this week, I posted a video on our social media pages, Instagram and Facebook, asking the question, what makes you anxious? And we got a number of different responses. I don't know if you saw it. Maybe you replied. I want to just share a couple of the answers uh, that came in with you. Uh, number one, work. Someone wrote, work makes me anxious. Someone else posted, not being in control makes me anxious. That's me, right? I, not been in control. Third, pressure to do things the right way the first time around makes me anxious. Another one wrote, saving for retirement makes me anxious. That makes me anxious. Relationship conflicts make me anxious. Another one, this one resonates with me too, worrying about my kids' future. Worry about where the country is heading with our religious freedoms and financial concerns for the future. And then there was this one, bad drivers make me anxious. And I, and I figured this had to be somebody who knew Alan Hamada. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, and then somebody else posted this. My husband's driving makes me anxious. Right? And so what makes you anxious? Right? What makes you anxious? Well, today I wanted to share with you one final reflection that I have from my cancer journey. Now, for those of you who are here for the first time, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to go through this again because I've talked about it uh, for about two weeks now. But to make a long story short, about seven weeks ago, I was diagnosed with lung cancer. And then I had surgery after that. And fortunately, the doctors were able to take it all out. They didn't find that it had spread anywhere to the lymph nodes. And so he said that I was cancer-free. But it was a long journey, as you might have learned last week. And if you'd like to hear more about it, you know, you go to our, go to our South Bay Community Church website, hit on the meet, click the media tab, and that'll take you to the messages. One last week, um, I talked about fear. And then one about a month ago, uh, the king of my heart, in which I really talked about my whole diagnosis. But the one thing um, that we can all be certain of is that anxiety is, is just pervasive. So if I could show you, for example, I mean, if, um, if this tennis ball represented anxiety, I'd say that we have anxiety, we have a lot of these balls, right? We have a lot of anxiety all over the place. I mean, it starts in the morning when you wake up, and you wake up and you realize that your alarm didn't go off on time, and so you're going to be late for work, and so you're anxious. And then you're, oh! <laughs> and then, and then you, you finally get, and then you realize you have to take the kid's 
to school as well. And that makes you anxious because it's going to be, it's going to cause you to be a little bit late for work. And then you get into your car and you realize you can't find your keys and that makes you anxious. And then you can't find your cell phone and that makes you anxious. And then, and then you realize that you don't have a full tank of gas and you got to stop and get gas and that makes you anxious. And then you put on your ways and you realize that there's a 30 minute slowdown in the traffic and you're definitely going to be late for work and you're definitely going to be late for taking the kids to school and that really makes you anxious. Thank you. It just, it just comes at you constantly like one anxious after the other hitting you in the gut. And then you realize, then you think as you're driving, you're, you're driving and you realize, man, what, what was that blood in my urine? That makes you anxious. And... <laughs> And then there's, what was that lump in my, my breast? And that makes you anxious. And what was that discomfort in your chest? And that makes you anxious. And then you, oh, then, and then you realize, then you got all these personal issues. And you think about your kids. And you think, oh, uh, you think about your kids. I'm losing my train of thought, and that's making me anxious. <laughs> Thank God Lee's almost run out of tennis balls over here. But you think about your kids. And you think, maybe they have some kind of learning disability, and that makes you anxious. Or maybe they're going to be bullied at school, and that's going to make you anxious. Or maybe they won't have any friends, and that makes you anxious. Or they're trying out for the basketball team, and what if they don't make the basketball team, and that makes you anxious. And again, you have all these personal issues. Maybe you don't have kids, and you can't get pregnant. You're going to go to a Thanksgiving dinner, and they're going to ask you, when are you going to have a family? And that makes you anxious. Or maybe you're single, and you can't find a mate, and you go to Thanksgiving dinner. They're going to ask you, when are you going to get married? And that makes you anxious. We have so many things that make us anxious. How, you know, will people like my, my uh, Facebook post? And if they don't, that makes you anxious. Uh, how am I going to care for my elderly parents? So many things make us anxious, and one thing's for certain. Give me that ball. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. Thank you so much. You know, there's so many things that make us anxious. And survey after survey after survey indicates that Americans are more anxious than they have ever been. So what does it mean to be anxious? You know, I love Max Lucado's description of anxiety, which is found in a book that he wrote called Anxious for Nothing. And I understand the ladies are going through that in their study um, uh, in the women's group. But here's what he wrote. He's such a great writer. Here's what he wrote. Let's put it up here for you. He wrote, speaking of anxiety, it's a low-grade fear, an edginess, a dread, a cold wind that doesn't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as a certainty that one is coming, always coming. Sunny days are just an interlude. You can't relax, can't let your guard down. All peace is temporary, short-term. It's not the sight of a grizzly, but the suspicion of one or two or ten behind every tree, beyond every turn. Inevitable. It's just a matter of time until the grizzly leaps out of the shadows, bears its fangs, and gobbles you up along with your family, your friends, your bank account, your pets, and your country. What a great description. What a great description of anxiety. Anxiety is that persistent gnawing, nagging sense of dread about your future over which you have no control. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, anxiety is worry. You have a, inside of your Baywatch, your program, which you receive, there's a sheet in there, and uh, w w there's some fill-ins if you'd like to do that, if you're into that kind of thing, and, and if you'd like to look at the verses, the verses are listed there for you. You can also follow uh, this message along, um, you can follow along in your, on your South Bay Community Church uh, app, and all the verses are listed here for you. But the, 
what, what makes you anxious? It's, it's nothing less, really, it's nothing less than worry. I was worried, I was worried about my wife and our team when they were in Japan in the crosshairs of a typhoon. I, I was worried, I was anxious about my cancer having spread even before I was diagnosed to have cancer. I worry every time my daughter goes, my daughter Kylie goes rock climbing. I don't know why it is that every time she sees a rock, she feels like she has to climb it. And I wish someone would tell me that was photoshopped, but it's not. And that's her um, enjoying her climb. I don't know where she's at. I don't know what she's doing. I said, don't even tell me where you're going. I don't even want to know. I wish, why couldn't she have taken up ballet? You know, why couldn't she have taken up crocheting? Why climb rocks? And every time she goes, I get anxious. You know, in my message last week, I touched on fear. In case you're wondering, there is a difference between fear and anxiety. There is a difference. And here's how Max Lucado described the two or differentiated the two. He wrote this. He said, anxiety and fear are cousins. They are cousins, but they are not twins. So they're not the same, but they're related. And then he said this, and I like this, I highlighted. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. Imagines one. Right? Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. Fear screams, get out. Anxiety ponders, what if? Lucado added, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. What if, what if, what if? So you can write this one down. Anxiety majors on the what ifs. What if I get laid off? What if my kids don't make it into Pepperdine? What if cancer has spread? What if our team gets swept away by the flood? What if Kylie falls from one of those rocks? It's what if. And so I'd ask you, what is your big what if? What's your big what if? Third, I want you to write this one down. Anxiety is problematic. It is problematic. It can lead to all sorts of problems. All sorts of problems. If you're anxious about money, for example, uh, it can lead you to become greedy with money. It can lead you to steal money. It can lead you to embezzle money. If you're anxious about your son or daughter and whether or not they will make it into a top-tier university, it can lead you to bribe school officials to let them in, which some have done. If you're anxious about your grades, it can lead you to cheat. If you're anxious about whether, what others think about you, then it can, it can lead you to stretch the truth and lie about who you really are and what you've done. Anxiety can lead to addiction and all sorts of psychological issues like post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, or compuls obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, or social anxiety disorder where you feel like you need to withdraw from everybody because just being with people makes you anxious, or panic disorder, or general anxiety disorder, GAD. And there's so many things. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, more than 40 million Americans, think about that, more than 40 million Americans suffer from some type of anxiety disorder. Right, so what's the answer? At, well, let me first say, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist, right? So I cannot give you their perspective of how to address anxiety disorders, right? I'm not qualified to speak from their perspective. But I'm a pastor, so I can tell you what the Bible has to say about anxiety. And that's what I want to do. And it's clear from my study of the scriptures that God doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us uh, to, to our, for anxiety and worry to characterize the life of a Christ follower. He just doesn't, right? In his book called The Cities of Bishoprics of Phrygia, which I'm sure you have all read, 
right, the cities of Bishoprics of Phrygia. I can't even pronounce it. Story is told of a man named Titidias Amarimnus. Titidias Amarimnus, who became a Christ follower. I'm going to put his name up here for you, all right? Titidias Amarimnus, Greek name. The last name, his last name, Amarimnus, is derived from the Greek word merimnate, which means to worry or to be anxious, all right? And you can see the similarities here between the Greek word worry, Merimnate, and his name, Amarimnus. Now, here's what you need to know. His actual name wasn't Tedadias Amarimnus. His actual name was Tedadias Marimnus. Marimnus. The A was added to the front of his name after he was baptized. Here's how it works. It was very common back then to change someone's name after they become a Christian and after they were baptized. And this was done to show that the person who was baptized was now a brand new person. And so in the Greek, the letter A served as a prefix, and it meant the opposite of. It meant the opposite of. So, for example, in the Greek, the word theist refers to someone who believes in God. You're all familiar with this word, theist, someone who believes in God. The prefix A, when you add the prefix A to it, what do you get? You get atheist, which means this is someone who is opposed to or doesn't believe in God. All right? So that's how we get this way. So Titadias, his last name was actually Marimnus, which meant to worry. He added the A after he was baptized. He had the A in front of his name to demonstrate that now he was a brand new creation in Christ and he was no longer a worrier. He was the opposite of someone who worried. He was no longer someone who worried. He was Amarimnus. And that ought to be true for all of us. If you're a Christ follower, there ought to be an A in front of your name. And we should be people who don't worry. Amarimnus. Because anxiety, anxiety shouldn't characterize the life of a believer. And you can write that one down. It shouldn't characterize the the way we, we live our lives. And that's why Jesus said, this to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Take a look at Luke chapter 12. And uh, let me just read verse 22, and then we're going to look at the rest of this in just a little bit. But, But Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what nor your body, what you will put on, all right? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So grab a pen. I want you to underline, do not be anxious about your life. I mean, he said it very clearly. Jesus said, do not be anxious about your life. The word anxious is the Greek word merimnate, which means don't worry, right? And this verb, do not be anxious, is found here in the present active imperative uh, form, which means it can be translated. It can actually be translated in English. Stop worrying. Cut it out. Quit worrying. Don't be anxious. And because it is also in the imperative mood, it means that it is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. It is a command. Stop worrying. Cut it out. Don't worry any longer. All right? That's what Jesus said. Don't worry. It is not worry and anxiety, not to characterize the life of believers. All right? So then begs the question, well, then how do we do it? How do we not worry any longer? You know, after our team landed in Tokyo, Pastor Shindo went to the airport, Narita Airport, to pick them up. And he decided, because they didn't schedule any 
time to see any of the sights while they were there. I always recommend at least spend a day just resting and go see some sights. And, and uh, they didn't have any time to see anything. So Pastor Sheena decided to take our team kind of the long way uh, back to the church. So he drove them the long way back to the church. It was a couple hours. And he took them back to the church to show them some sights. And and I think the most astonishing, according to my wife and others who were there, the most astonishing sight that they came across was this statue of Buddha, which was nearly 40 stories tall. Think about that, 40 stories tall. It is three times the size of the Statue of Liberty. It makes it the third, large, third tallest statue in the entire world. The eyes on this thing are eight and a half feet across, yet, yet it can't see. The mouth is 15 feet long, yet it can't talk. The nose is four feet in length, yet it can't smell. And the ear from top to bottom is 32 feet long, yet it can't hear. Nevertheless, there are people who think so highly of this statue that they will come from all over Japan to bow down to it, to pray to it, and to offer incense to it. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. They do the exact opposite of what many Christ followers do. Take a look at, here's what I mean, and I'll show you what I mean. Take a look at Luke chapter 12 again. Luke 12, by the way, corresponds with what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, all right? So it's corresponding uh, uh, verses here, or passage here. But let me pick it up in verse 22 again, which we just read, but let's just take it from there, and we'll go through a few of these verses. And I want, I want you to really listen to what Jesus said here, all right? And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like, these, like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world will seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do you get the gist of what Jesus said here? Did you get it? Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Because if God can take care of the birds so that they never have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from, then he can take care of you. And if God can clothe the grass, and that Greek word clothe means to dress up, if he can dress up the grass and make them look so beautiful, and if he can make the lilies of the field more beautiful than the glory of Solomon, 
then how much more will he take care of you because you are so much more valuable to him than the birds and the flowers? And most of us will read this and go, that's right, amen. But then I would ask, do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? See, I think there are a lot of people who think so, there are people who think so highly of the statue of Buddha that they will go to it, bow down to it, pray to it, and offer incense to it. Yet, how many Christ followers will stop worrying because they know that God will take care of them? One of the takeaways from this passage in Luke 12 is this. Anxiety thinks too little of God. Anxiety, every time you worry, it shows how little you think of God and what he is capable of doing. It demonstrates that we don't trust him with our lives. It demonstrates that we don't trust him with our health, with our future, with our children's future. And I'll tell you something. This has been so convicting to me because I am a worrier. I really am. This has been so convicting to me that I need to stop worrying. And what did and what did Jesus say to do? He just said, stop it. Just stop it. Be anxious for nothing. And, in, and instead of thinking too little of God, we need to think highly of God. We need to think highly of, of God because our God is not a statue. Our God has eyes that can see and ears that can hear and a mouth that can speak. Our God is alive. Our God is real. Our God is great. Our God is awesome. Amen? Amen. You know, back in 2012... I really hit the wall. I mean, I hit the skids. Um, if you were around at that time, or even after that, I've, I've shared a little bit with you from time to time. I, my jets were fried, and I, I was really burned out. And I started experiencing big-time anxiety along with three months of insomnia. About three months there, I, didn't, I couldn't sleep. Every night, I would toss and turn and toss and turn. Sometimes, and, and usually, it was around 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning when I'm still awake, wide awake, that the anxiety would kick in. And the anxiety would kick in, and, and, and that's when I would start to think, you know, the what-ifs, right? What if I keep going like this, and what if I, I, I can't ever sleep? And the anxiety kicked in, and I just I came to the conclusion that I was going to die for lack of sleep. I'm just going to die because I can't sleep. On another occasion during this time, I, I had to fly to um, somewhere to attend a conference. I didn't really want to go, but I, I was scheduled to go, so I had to go, and and I was going by myself, and I, I went to the airport. We got to the gate. I got to the gate, and, and, and the gate's just packed, just filled. So I, I knew the plane was going to be packed. And all these, as, as they were calling, you know, calling everyone to board the plane, I, mean, I saw all these people getting on the plane. And, all, and the first thing you know what happened, the anxiety kicked in. And I began to think I had a panic attack, and I began to think, I'm going to get on that plane, and I'm going to suffocate. You know, I'm claustrophobic. I'm going to suffocate all these people, and I'm not going to be able to breathe, and I'm going to die in that plane. And I don't know where that thought came from. Oh, actually, I do know where that thought came from. It came from the pit of hell, right? It's, it was a lie that Satan, sends, Satan the, the father of lies, sends into our heads. And, and then later on, and, I, and you know, I, I made it through that, but uh, I was ready to just leave. Uh, but I made it through that. And later on, it occurred to me, Sometime during my journey with anxiety, it occurred to me that anxiety really starts in the mind. It really starts in the mind. Remember Max Lucado's definition? Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. I mean, it all starts here. Worry is conceived in our minds. 
with these irrational thoughts like, I'm going to die, I can't breathe, and I'm a loser, and I'm no good, and, I'll, and my child will never make it in this life, and I'll never make it in this life, and I'll never get a job, and I'll never get married, and I'll never have kids, and I'll never be free of my addiction. All these things, that, these, these lies that enter into our heads, that's where it starts. And I realized that if I, don't, if I wanted to overcome anxiety, I needed to get these things, I needed to block these negative thoughts and these irrational thoughts, I need to block them and remove them from my mind. And I need to have the right focus. And then I needed, and how do, you, how do you get rid of negative stuff? You fill it with positive stuff, right? So I needed to fill my mind with the Word of God. And that's exactly what Paul said we need to do. Take a look at the next passage, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I heard that this is one of the most famous verses on, 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 on Bible apps, the most highlighted verse in, uh, in the Bible app. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything. There it is again, Merem Nate. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's what I want to focus on, right? Verse 8, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, and I really believe that Paul attached verse 8 to verse 6 and 7 because the key, one of the keys to get rid of, getting rid of anxiety is to think about the right things. It's, it's a matter of what you put in your head. Right? And we need, which means we need to change our minds. We need to refocus our minds. We need to think about, we need to think about what is true and what is honorable and what is pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and about the one who is worthy of our praise. Those are the things we need to put into our minds instead of all the what ifs. So write this one down. Anxiety will subside when I have the right focus. And that's why what really helped me during that time and what really helped me through this time with my cancer battle is just reading through the Psalms. I've told you that many times. Man, I just read the Psalms and it just filled my mind with all these things that Paul said you ought to fill your minds with. And then with regards to insomnia, with regards to insomnia, I reminded myself of a truth Right? It's not in, a, in the Bible anywhere, but I know it to be true. That God created me to sleep. I've been sleeping all my life since I was a baby. Right? I mean, and I love to sleep. 9, 10, 11 o'clock comes. I'm kind of a later sleeper. And you know what? It's time to go to sleep. I get ready to go to sleep. I lay down. I might read something, and then I'll go to sleep. And, I wait. and I've done that all my life. God created me to sleep, and it's never been a problem until I was having all this insomnia. And so I, I just had to tell myself, you know, God created me to sleep, and I will. And it might take a little time. It might take a little time, but I knew that I would eventually get back into the rhythm of sleeping. And I did. You know what's amazing? During this time when, when I was struggling with cancer and all that stuff, never had any problems sleeping. And those who knew that I had problems with insomnia would, would keep asking, and anxiety would say, hey, how are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? I'm sleeping like a baby. Right? I'm sleeping like a baby because I, I, didn't, I tried not to let my mind run away with all these what-if thoughts. And then with regards to my anxiety about suffocating on a plane, I had to remind myself that I'd been on a plane dozens and dozens of times before. 
And every time I got on a plane, I never suffocated. I didn't have a problem then. There was never a lack of oxygen. Well, sometimes they didn't put the air on fast enough. But I didn't suffocate then, and I wasn't going to suffocate now or in the future. Instead, you know, what happens? I, I believe these lies. Oh, I'm going to suffocate. I'm going to suffocate. And when I started to tell myself that, hey, man, you're, you're just believing these lies. Focus on the truth. The anxiety began to subside. So if you're battling anxiety and and worry, then it's usually here. Refocus, right? And if you can't, if you can't, if you're having a hard time believing the truth, then fill your mind with the Word of God. Fill it with the Word of God. And so with regards to my own family, with regards to my own daughter, Kylie and Natalie, and even with my wife, Cheryl, who would have been in the middle of that hurricane if she could have, I have to constantly remind myself that God can do a better job of taking care of them than I can. Than I can. In fact, yesterday, Kylie went rock climbing, and um, we heard from her around 11 o'clock, and she said, we're stopping to get something to eat. And I, and I thought, well, that meant she and I get home to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And, um, and in the past, in recent months, I can tell you this, my anxiety levels would go up, and I'm thinking, I can't sleep until she gets home. And that's exactly what happened. I'd come to church the next day, and I'd be absolutely exhausted having to preach. And I'm absolutely exhausted because I was up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Last night, I thought, I'm going to sleep. And I went to sleep. And it was fine. And this morning, I woke up, and there she was in her bed. And everything was fine. So what are you worried about? Right? What are you worried about? Well, finally, I want to show you what the Apostle Peter had to say about anxiety. Right? If there was anyone who understood what anxiety and worry was, he, he was the guy. Because he was a worrier. Right? Peter worried that he was going to drown when he walked out on the Sea of Galilee. And by the way, in a couple of weeks, a bunch of us are headed to Israel and we're going we're gonna to see the Sea of Galilee. We're going to go there. But when Peter walked out to Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and he, and he started to sink, I mean, he started getting worried. I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. Jesus, help me. Right? And he worried when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the guards came to take him away. He worried about Jesus, so he, he drew his sword and he slashed off the ear of the high priest's servant. And then they took Jesus away and they thought he, he thought he was going to meet the same fate as Jesus. And he was going to be tried and crucified, which, which is why he denied Christ three times. So if there was ever a guy who understood what it meant to worry, he was the guy. He was the guy. And so here's, and that, that gives more weight and, and really a weight and greater meaning to his words. And here's what he said about worry and anxiety in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Peter said the way to deal with anxiety is to cast it all on Jesus. In verse 7, when you underline casting all your anxieties on him, merimnate, that same word there. And the word casting there in the Greek is the Greek word epiripton. By the way, if you're here for the first time, the reason why I refer to the Greek is because the New Testament is written in the Greek. And what we have in our Bibles, English translation, and sometimes the English doesn't do justice to what it really means. So that's why we look back at the, we'll look at the Greek occasionally to see what it really means. And the word casting is the Greek word epiripto, two words, a compound word, epi, which means upon, ripto, which means to cast. So it means to, epiripto means to cast upon. 
It is the idea, for example, of taking something and throwing it at something else. Taking something and throwing it at something else. So, for example, if I took this beautiful angel blanket, right? This beautiful angel. James O here somewhere. Angel blanket, James, right? Not a Dodger one. And if I were to get this blanket and I were to cast it on Mark, Mark's sitting in the front row. I'm not going to cast it at you because I don't want you to take this from me. But if I, were to, if I were to cast it on you, right, and it lands on you, that's epiripto, right? So imagine that this blanket represents everything you worry about, every anxiety you have, right? What do you do with it? Peter said, get that blanket with all those worries that you have and cast it on Jesus. That's what he said. That's what this means. We are to cast all of our anxieties on him. And you know what happens when you do that? When you cast it all on him, your anxiety levels will begin to subside. Right? That's your final point. Anxiety will subside when we cast it all on him. Now, one last thing. In order to cast your anxieties on Christ, it requires humility. That's why he speaks about humility in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We need, to, we need humility because humility um, it requires humility because humility says, God, I can't handle this by myself. God, I can't, I can't cope with this. God, I need you to help me. I'm hurting. Help me. Right? And w- when you humble yourselves, then you realize, okay, now I can cast it all on Christ. You know, one of the couples I've just grown to love so much here at our church uh, are Adrian and Shalanda Williams. Uh, you probably know Shalanda because she sings on our worship team. And Adrian, he's a big guy, so he's on our security team. You know, you always be on your good behavior here because you don't want this guy coming around and say, hey, man, what are you doing? So he's a, he's a great guy, a great couple. And what I love about them, so many things, but I, I, lo- I love their humility. I love the fact that they're willing to admit that they struggle in their marriage with addiction. They're, they're humble enough to be transparent and say, man, we need help. Father, what an amazing God you are. Sometimes I think we treat you like you're a statue. No power. Can't do anything. But Lord, we know in our hearts that is not true. This morning, whatever our anxieties are, we put it all on this blanket and we cast it on you, Lord. We give it to you. And Father, thank you for Shalanda. Thank you for Adrian. For the example that they are to us of a couple struggling real time, real hurt, casting it upon you. God, we ask for your favor to be upon them, upon Adrian, that he would, be with your help, break this addiction. God, that with your help, you would keep their marriage, you would make their marriage even stronger than it is today. Wrap your loving arms around them and hold them tight. And do that for each and every one of us, Lord. Because I know people. there are people in this room who are facing overwhelming anxiety issues, panic attacks, and so much more. Lord, we look to you. We look to you. Thank you, Father. Thanks for loving us.
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.